us here this morning. We uh, have a good group present. We have visitors with us, and we are really grateful for your being here. I want to welcome you to the congregation here, the church that meets here at East Orange, and invite you to come back at every opportunity you have, and I hope we make you feel welcome and you'll want to do just that. This morning, I'm going to, uh, in continuing to talk about our theme, and we're looking in particular this quarter at edification in my church. Uh, Again, this year, what we're talking about is uh, some things that should characterize or identify the Lord's church. This is my church here. This is my congregation, so it should reflect what the Lord uh, wants within his church. And one of the things, certainly, that the Lord emphasizes throughout the Bible is the idea of edification. I'm going to go back. If you want to, you can open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. And I'm going to go back to something that I was talking about, oh, a few weeks ago, something that I called uh, the Malachi Principle, and uh, for lack of a better uh, uh, terminology for it, but it's just something that I see within Malachi 3 and 4. Now, you may remember that, oh, about a month ago, maybe five weeks ago, um, I was talking about Malachi 3 beginning in verse 1, and I was looking at this first paragraph here and really emphasizing Uh, Jesus, who is, of course, the Lord, who is the one who suddenly, as Malachi says, came to his temple, and um, the messenger of the covenant. I was really emphasizing that. But this morning, I want us to go further in Malachi 3, and I want us to talk, certainly to talk about the Lord, but I want us to also talk about the people who are mentioned here in Malachi 3, uh, down near the end of the chapter, at the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4. And I'm going to categorize those people as those who fear the Lord. When you come to the Lord's church, when you meet together with Christians as you are this morning, perhaps you're a visitor as I once was, and you come into a place that in many respects is unlike any place you've ever been, maybe some things that are done, such as the great emphasis on the Lord's Supper or the singing in which the congregation Uh, Each one personally involves himself or herself. Things are different, and they are certainly different from my background, and the truth is from a lot of you, uh, from your background as well. When you see that, I hope that you see, and one of the things that we certainly want you to see, is that we are trying to be people, we don't always succeed, but we are trying to be people who fear and respect the Lord. That he is the messenger of God's covenant, that what he teaches is what God wants us to do. And we respect that, and we want to honor that with everything we do. So this morning I want to talk about that. And I'll begin by just simply saying this. If we're talking about edification, and we're going to really get into the next few weeks looking at a number of passages that deal with this. But if we're talking about edification, it comes from two primary sources. Now obviously, if we're... Uh, And when we're talking about edification, obviously we're talking about building up one another in the faith. And if we look in the book of Malachi, if we look at chapter 3, I think you see both those sources. Obviously, number one is it comes from the Lord. The Lord builds us up in the faith through his word he has delivered, through the teachings that he gives in his covenant, etc. We are built up. But we are also built up from each other. And in fact, when you come to the New Testament... uh, for that matter, if you look throughout the Bible, there is a great emphasis upon what you can do for me and I can do for you. Now, we will get to some passages, not this morning, 
But we will get to some passages in which God presses upon each of us. Each of us becomes a priest in the royal household of God. And each of us is pressed upon by God to use what we have to build up ourselves, that is true, but also to build up one another. And it becomes our responsibility to do that. And so we'll emphasize that this morning. Both sources for edification. I am the Lord, Jesus says. I change not. We saw that at the beginning of chapter 3. But there is also those who fear the Lord. And it is from those two primary sources that we get our edification. Let's look at some passages and what I call the Malachi Principle. Tying back to what we were looking at in the summer especially, in that second quarter um, and the third quarter, we talk about fellowship. We talk about friends who are Christians. In fact, the value of true Christian friendship, as you can see I have here, of individual to individual, of brother to brother, of friend to friend, really it's invaluable. That is the value cannot be measured. It cannot be measured how important that is. It's incalculable. Kind of incalculable, if I could get it out. And the reason why is because you can't calculate the effect you're going to have. One person influences another who in turn influences another and another and another. I remember sitting in the parking lot many years ago now, nearly 40, but sitting in the parking lot talking to Dale. Dale Smelser is the one, of course, who taught me and baptized me. And I remember talking to him, and, and we were talking about this very thing. And we were talking about how on Judgment Day, and he was thinking in these terms, and I thought it was fantastic. And he said, you'll be standing there on Judgment Day, and perhaps that massive sea of people that there will be from all ages who are faithful to God. You may catch the eye of someone. You may see someone and that person will look at you and they're seeking you out because you influenced them. You taught them. But in turn, you will see someone else. And the truth is, you will be standing there with someone who influenced you and someone influenced them. And in many respects, it will go all the way back, way beyond what you can calculate. And it will go all the way back to the New Testament, and there will be the apostles. And when you begin to think about it like that, oh, how phenomenal that is. And I think that's pictured to a degree right here in Malachi 3, and we're going to look at that. But you certainly can't calculate it. It's beyond any value you could place upon it. When we're talking about edification, we're talking about building up the house, our house. My body is a temple of the Lord, so is yours. And however well that's constructed right now, spiritually speaking, it is a temple if you're a member of the church, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian. And the construction of your personal house of God that many times comes from those who are building up your house, that are influencing you and the relationships you have, those special relationships you have. But it's also... Interesting here, and it is so important to notice that this is something God takes personal notice of. If we're looking at Malachi 3, and we will read it in a moment, and we will see how that those who fear the Lord, God looks down here and He sees these friendships, these relationships we have. People that you really have fellowship with. Now, I'm not talking about just that hit and run fellowship, okay, hit and miss fellowship. 
If you happen to be here this morning and they happen to be here and you happen to shake hands and say hello, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a closer relationship than that. Two individuals who have come together and been friends are brothers, a brother and sister, real friends, who are personally constructing their own house of God and who are receiving help, close help, real help from someone else who's helping them to build that house of God. And so we look at passages like Malachi 3. Read together with me, beginning down in verse 16. When it says, Then they that feared the Lord, notice this phrase, they spoke often one to another. I want you to let that just kind of sink in for a moment. People who fear God, they fear the Lord, they respect Him, they want to do what He wants. And what are they doing? They're talking to each other. It's as simple as that. They're speaking often to each other. And I want you to listen to what it says here. And the Lord hearkened. The word hearken means he took heed to it. He, it's like when you and I pause to listen to something. Maybe we're kind of rocking along through the day, you know, and we overhear something and we say, wait a minute, what was that? And we turn to it and we listen. So is God. There's seven billion people in the world and they're all talking and milling around right now. Well, maybe not every single one of them, but a lot of them are. And a lot of the conversations are not good. And they're things that God would rather not have any part of. But there are some who are speaking to each other and talking to each other. And there are conversations going on in which their houses, their temples are being built. And that's what God pays special attention to. Notice this. He hearkened and he heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them. That feared the Lord. What does that mean? When I read this, I sometimes think of Cornelius. Here was Cornelius, not even a Christian. And yet he wanted to be. He wanted to do what God says do because he feared the Lord. And he did certain things. And God hearkened to those things he did. He listened to them. And a book of remembrance was written for those things. And in fact, he's visited by a messenger from God who tells him. These things you've done have come up for a remembrance to God. Have you ever stopped to think that when you really put forth the effort and you do a good thing, maybe you think nobody notices. Maybe you think that this good thing you said, this encouragement you gave, this constructive, and I mean constructive, criticism you gave, that those things that you do, where you help each other and you build each other up, sometimes maybe you think nobody cares, nobody's listening. Well, God is. And so a book of remembrance was written before the Lord for those who feared the Lord. And that thought, they dwell upon, they really think and mull over His name. Now I'll come back to this passage. But I want us to understand that this is exactly what God wants. I'm not going to turn to all of these passages, but you can look at them. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, when Jesus sent out the 70, usually called missionaries there. But when he sent out the 70 to preach, you'll notice that he sent them out two by two. In groups of two, if you will. Or in couples, or whatever. But he sent them out with someone else. Why? I mean, couldn't he cover more ground if he sent them out by themselves? Couldn't he get to double the houses if he would just send them out alone? Why was it so important to send them out two by two? 
A lot of, there's a lot of commentary that's been written by this, and I think that perhaps Barnes in his commentary says it the best. It's because, not because the Lord doesn't want to cover as much ground, but it's because we need that other person. We get down. There are things that bother us and upset us. There are things that challenge us and scare us even. There are times when we're tired, when we really don't feel like being as spiritual as we know we need to be. And that's just being honest. But that other person is there for us. And if you cultivate that kind of partnership in life, if you have fellowship, as we spent so much time talking about, if you do have that, then you have that person that can recognize that you're not feeling on top of the world spiritually today. Or that you can call up 24 hours a day if you had to. I know there are people. I could call them in the middle of the night right now, and all I'd have to say is, I need to talk to you. And they say, fine, let's talk. I could knock on their door at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and they'd be sleepy. But if I knocked on the door and said, man, I really need to sit down and talk to you, let's go. I know that I have those people. And you've met some of those people. That's the kind of person you need, because that's the kind of person, when you're in trouble, that's going to be there for you. The guy that's simply the passing guy that all you do is shake his hand or perhaps attend church with him on Sunday morning, but you never get to know him. And you don't have any real relationship. That person can't help you. And you can't help them. The person that can help you is the one that is the other half of the two-by-two. It's like Proverbs 27. Go over with me a moment. We, uh, I had a part of that read a moment ago. But when you look at Proverbs 27, it's very interesting because throughout this chapter, it's speaking of how close a relationship you can develop with someone. Even to the point that a friend, as was read for us a minute ago, can say things that wound you, that hurt you, but they need to be said. You know, they're the kinds of things where someone says... Hey, I need to tell you something. Or I've seen this or that. And you know they're your friend because they built that. And they have the right to say that to you. There are things I will take from a small handful of people. And I'll take them. And take them well. But I really won't from most people. Because that's my nature. But you build that. And you'll notice down in verse 17, and it's a powerful verse, when it says, Iron sharpens iron. You ever seen someone sharpen a blade? Sparks fly. You know? When someone's sharpening your iron, sometimes sparks fly. You know? But iron sharpens iron, and so a man sharpens the countenance. Countenance is generally, it's a word that just means appearance. But many times in the Bible it's used for how you look to God. A friend can sharpen how you look to God. You'll notice also in verse 19, and I love this one. As in water, water's like a mirror, we all know that. As in water, face answers to face. Notice, so the heart of man to man. Build that kind of relationship. Find that kind of person in this life to be close to, who can help you build your house. Notice in Acts 20, and I won't go back to this, Wes and I debated Acts 20, oh, here, three or four months ago. But you remember when Paul met with those Christians in Troas, that after all of that was after midnight, you know, and... Eutychus had been raised from the dead. Paul then sat down with a group of them at their house. And he ate a meal with them. And then the Bible talks about them talking 
till break of day, till dawn. I'll ask you a question. Have you ever sat up with someone talking about spiritual things all night long? If you have, you know how close you are to that person. And you know what they do for you, and really, you should know what you do for them. Some of us, I would suspect many of us in this room, if not all Christians here, have that kind of person. And, in, and we need that. God teaches us to do that. So if you ever thought about, you know, maybe it seems crazy that, that, hey, you and I are sitting up all night long talking. It's not crazy. It's exactly what God wants us to be doing. There are many passages. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, just says in general, if you take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, you'll save yourself, but you'll also save those who hear you. Those that fear the Lord and speak often to each other. In Acts 2 and verse 46, we're all familiar with the fact that on the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 souls were saved. And then daily, those Christians were meeting in the temple and they were teaching, the apostles were teaching them the doctrine and so forth. But they were also breaking, breaking up from that. And they were going home or going to houses on a daily basis. And they were eating together and talking. They were doing exactly what Malachi teaches. They were speaking often to each other. And you can only imagine the kind of things that were being said. I mean, think about it. They're leaving the heritage of the Jews, something they've been part of and their ancestors have been part of for at least 1,500 years. And the tradition to Abraham goes back another 500. And yet they're leaving all of that and they're following Jesus, the Son of God. And can you imagine the kinds of things they would be saying? And as they continue to remain in Jerusalem... And whatever they left behind, maybe a business, maybe a farm, whatever it might be, they know it's falling apart, but how important this is, what we're doing. I can only imagine the kind of things that would have been said after lunch in those daily meetings. In James 5 and verse 16, so important to find a confidant, to find someone you can trust. I know people in this room I can trust like that. And if I go to that person and I say, listen, I need to talk to you. I want you to keep this just between you and me. And a lot of times, and you guys know this, I'll say keep this between you, me, and the four walls. And then I talk to you. Because sometimes we need to confess things. We need to confess faults. And we need to talk about things. And we need to ask for prayers from good, godly, faithful people. We need that. And when you hold it all in and you try to hide it and you try to be, you know, put on this show that you're perfect and you're not. It's doing something to you inside. It's either making you cold or hard or alone. And God is teaching you, have that person. James 5 is not a public thing. You can do it publicly. You can confess a fault publicly and ask for the prayers of everybody here. It's always right to do that. But James 5 is more particularly talking about and literally says in the original, you confess your faults one to another one. And you pray for each other because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails. It accomplishes much. That's the power in the Malachi principle, if you will. So let's go back to Malachi 3 and let's look at it. And I want you to read with me just a couple of verses here. It will cross from Malachi 3 down into chapter 4. But you see very quickly, you know, if I can get over there to it, you see very quickly that we're talking about people in the future, really. Because the messenger, Jesus, is going to come to his temple. 
And these people are going to be speaking with each other because they fear the Lord and so forth. Start reading with me in verse 16 again. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Notice verse 17. And they shall be mine. How important is it to fellowship, to speak to fellow Christians, to really have these heartfelt conversations? They shall be mine, saith the Lord. In that day when I make up my jewels, or there are many different translations of this, but all of them have to do with a crown and what adorns a crown, perhaps even the jewels within a crown. In that day when I make up my jewels or my crown, and I will spare them, as a man spares his own son that serves him. Notice, keep reading with me. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves him not. Notice what's happening here. You're growing. You're growing stronger. And you're realizing two things. One, you're realizing what's good and what's not good. What's bad, what's evil. You know, you know that. You see it. But you're also recognizing something else. You're recognizing the ones that are good for you and the ones that are not. The people that are building you up and making you stronger. And you're also realizing the people that are tearing you down. And mind you, we're not talking about, it's not as simple as, oh, that one's a member of the church and that one ain't. Because there are some of the people that tear you down the most can be members of the church. And those that build you up cannot be, at least not right now. But what he's saying here is you learn to recognize the ones that are serving God, the ones who are seeking God, the ones who want to be one of those, if you will, jewels in the crown. And so Malachi is speaking here of it, and it goes on into chapter 4. Read with me verse 1. For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yes, all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch, but unto you. That is, you that fear the Lord, etc. Unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness. I believe that's Jesus. Uh, One of our songs contains that phrase. The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. What he's talking about here is, you know, the idea of calves of the strong is you start off small, like a little bull calf, but you grow to a mighty animal. You're strong now in the Lord. So the Lord speaks of those who fear him. You know, we, in the past several weeks, few months, I've been stressing the need for Christian fellowship, to share things with other Christians, of unity, as we talked about for one quarter. Unity that is achieved between those who develop these close relationships with fellow Christians. You remember I spent a couple of lessons even emphasizing the idea of being yoked together with them. And we talked about socializing and social interaction. And I believe very much in that because social interaction is necessary to the health of human beings. I challenge you to find me. Someone who has closed themselves off, separated themselves from all other people, just withdrawn, who doesn't talk to other people, who doesn't have anything to do with other people, I challenge you to find me one of those people that's really strong in 
I've never met one, and I doubt you have either. I'm not saying that if you were isolated on an island like John on Patmos that you couldn't be strong. I'm not saying that. But before, as an old, perhaps even 90-year-old man, he went to the Isle of Patmos, dude spent a lot of time socially interacting with other Christians. You just don't withdraw from people, from fellow Christians, and expect that your iron is going to be sharp. That your countenance before God is going to be exactly what God wants. Sometimes we, and I'm one of those people, you know, we look around us and we see people and we don't think they love us, they don't care about us. I, you know, growing up, I had a lot of reason to feel that way. And it's still with me all my life. And you begin to pull back from people and you think people are mean and cruel and hard and they don't love you and all of that kind of thing. And I know what that feels like. And then you're alone. And you're sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And I know exactly what that feels like. God is telling us, speak often to someone who fears me. Let that person lift you up, build you up. That's what edification is all about. Because it's necessary to the health of human beings. We are created by God to be social creatures, as you say, I have this up here. And yet all too often Christians either don't socialize at all because they cut off the world or they just socialize with people in the world, but never developing that strong relationship with other Christians. People will tell me, and many people have told me over the years, well, Christians aren't any better than anybody else. You're right. To a great degree, you're right. But there's one major difference. I know people out there, some of them good people, some of them that I love very much. But the one great difference between that person and the one I'm talking about is that person does not fear God. And they don't, it doesn't move them to obey God. And I need that person in my life. I need that person who honors the Lord, as Malachi 3 talks about. I am the Lord, I change not. I need that person who believes in Him and trusts Him and lifts Him up to the position He needs to be in. I need that in my life. And I need to be interacting. Because we all need spiritual interaction. That's what God is teaching us. We need fellowship with spiritual things. And where spiritual things are shared between people, we need that. It's what builds us up. We need, as Malachi says, to speak often one to another. And you know, it doesn't matter if you're getting get together to study the Bible, if, you know, and that's a great place to do it. Come together and study the Bible. And get in Bible studies, whether here at the building or elsewhere, but get into Bible studies where people are sharing biblical things. But it doesn't matter if you're doing that or you're coming together to sing, to pray, to take the Lord's Supper, as we were doing this morning. You're just getting together to talk in a, in a less formal, private situation to discuss things. You know, the idea of, hey, what do you think about so-and-so? You know, ha have you ever thought about it? Have you ever gone through this? Are you going through that? What do you think God would say if? I mean, all those kinds of discussions, you need that. And you need that from the standpoint, the viewpoint of someone who honors the Lord. I mean, people out in the world are going to tell you everything. And a lot of it's not going to be good. I don't need that philosophy. I mean, I, I've heard it, I've listened to it, I've bought into it, and I've failed because of it. Anybody else here gone through that? 
I need someone who's telling me what God says. Whether I like it or not, I need someone telling me what the Lord wants. We need that. We even need that person, a confidant. Because you're going to hear this from the pulpit this morning, and it's probably something you already know. Did you know you cannot trust everybody? Just ask me. No, seriously. You need people who you can trust. You need that person that you know you can trust them. I even know sometimes when I first get to know someone and they're kind of testing me a little bit, you know, where you kind of tell them something, tell them don't tell anybody, but you don't really care if they do. (laughs) They test you. You need that kind of person, for example, that can come to you and talk to you and confess something to you and tell you, and if they told you 40 years ago, you still haven't told anyone. Even after they're dead, you don't tell it. Because you need that person to trust you to the degree that they can come to you at the worst time in their life. When they're at the fork in the road, one road, one path is leading to hell, one to heaven. And be able to confess to you, talk to you, and say, pray for me, and I'm going to need to come to you probably a lot over the next little bit of time. And that's okay. And to help you get through that time. And to know that when that person loves you and is praying for you, that it is going to accomplish much. You need that. And we all need that kind of interaction. Building up one another in the faith. Let me close by saying this. How do we practically edify one another? We're talking about what ought to identify this church. Well, we've talked about it all morning. Doing that kind of thing. That's speaking often to each other. How do we practically edify? We keep company. There is an old idiom. It's kind of out of use now. But when I was growing up, it was still very much in use, usually about people who were dating. So-and-so is keeping company with someone else. We knew what that meant. They were spending a lot of time together. They were getting closer. They were learning to and growing to love each other, and they are probably going to get married. But you know, the phrase dates back beyond just the use for dating. It was the idea of anyone that you spent a lot of time with. If you were becoming close friends, you were keeping company. Sometimes people would talk about it negatively. So-and-so is keeping company with such-and-such person or group of people. Once you understand that, we need to keep company with those that build us up, those who fear the Lord. We need to speak often to them, Malachi 3, and we need to share what we have come to call quality time with them. Not just that hello and passing And we don't see them again. We need to do what this passage in Malachi 3 is talking about. Because New Testament Christians, when we look at these people, and sometimes people will make comments, you know, these people seem like they're so strong. And they face persecution and all of this kind of thing. Well, that's right. Why were they so strong? Why could an old Christian named Polycarp be drug away from his family, carried up into the center of town, Surrounded by, you know, whatever, stubble, and they were going to burn him to death. And they say, we will let you go if you just give us the names of other Christians. Not a chance. How can they be that strong? Well, they're that strong because they spent a lifetime surrounding themselves with other people. You think about Paul, and a lot of people would consider Paul a strong Christian. Have you ever noticed how list? of names just dominate his epistle. (coughs) 
Get all choked up, sorry. <coughs> but how those list of names just dominate. I mean, look at it. Start in Romans. Look at the end of the book. Go all the way through his epistles. And you will see this one talked about and that one talked about. Some of the names you'll know. Aquila, Priscilla, Timothy, Silas. But many names you won't know. And yet, he will talk about how close he is to those people. Why was Paul so strong? Because he surrounded himself with Christian friends. Because there were people he knew would build him up and encourage him. I think about sometimes in 2 Timothy 4, we know the last epistle, or we believe it to be the last one he wrote, and shortly before his death. And what is he doing at the very end of it? In between all of his going to the Caesar, you know, standing before him, probably receiving the condemnation and knowing he was going to die shortly. What is he doing? What's he talking about? I'd love to see you, brother. Bring so-and-so with you. This, this person encouraged me so much. This guy refreshed me often. It was still those relationships he had. And it was what gave him the strength to be who he was, to stand where he was, knowing what he had to face, and yet he could be so strong. We need that in our lives. There's social life in the New Testament, including all, included all of this spiritual interaction with other Christians, even daily, Acts 2.46, and their faith was strong. So I leave you with this question. Most of us socialize, if it's nothing more than standing with somebody we work with at the water cooler, but most of us socialize. Is my socializing, is it building me up or tearing me down? Now I want you to really think about it. And I don't just mean you're, you know, socializing with the guy down the street that you, you know, you bowl with or, you know, you work with or whatever, and you talk about, you know, football or whatever. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about what goes on with those with whom you socialize. You really share things with. Is it building you up? Is it tearing you down? Sometimes even in your own house, sometimes even with your own spouse, that question needs to be answered. And there are certain relationships you can't just walk away from. And maybe that does include a spouse or a child or a parent or whatever. You know you can't walk away from it. But I'm not just talking about walking away or staying with them. I'm talking about what goes on. Is it building me up or tearing me down? Because if all I have are relationships that in one way or another are tearing me down, then I need to be doing something to find somebody to be building me up. Or, you know, those relationships, especially when it's two Christians and we're tearing each other down, we need to be doing something to start building each other up. And that can be here at church. Because that's what should identify this church. It can be at home or it can be anywhere. So I leave you with it again. Am I following the Malachi principle? Am I speaking often to people who fear the Lord? Because of what we're saying to each other, God is really pausing and saying, Wow, that one's going to be mine. Or is it tearing me down? You're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You believe in Jesus, that He is the Lord. He is the Son of God who came to this earth. And that, you'll confess, you know that, that He died for you. 
And you want to be forgiven of your sins. So you're willing to change your life, to repent. You'll be baptized to have your sins washed away. And maybe it is that you've gone through that process and you've become a child of God, but you're still looking at yourself and saying, you know, something's not right. And I need to change that. I need to turn it around today. You can certainly, as we said earlier, you can come up here. We'd be glad to pray together with you. And if possible, we would love to start getting closer to you. Won't you please come? Always stand.